how his organization is up and running in six states, flipped over 1,500 homes, and is going to do 300 plus transactions this year alone. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. One question I get all the time is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? And the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become one in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. When you hear a nugget, please type it into the comment section. And after the, after the show, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on just that for the next seven days. If you get value today, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And uh, this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Mark to answer. You ready? Ready, mate. All right, awesome. So first, thank you for coming out here, because I understand there was some just getting out here. Southwest Airlines is having some challenges, so I had to jump on one of their competitors. But uh, yeah, managed to uh, hobnob it through Denver and, and get down here. So. You made it, so I appreciate that. You bet. Uh, hell or high water. So first question is, what got you into real estate? I got into real estate um, after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I know that's so clicheic um, because it seems like everyone answers that question, but um, at a young age, my father introduced me to the stock market, but it just didn't, it didn't resonate with me. It felt like gambling. I felt like I had no control. It felt like um, you know, it was something that uh, you know, was just kind of out there, and I, I couldn't touch it. I couldn't feel it. I didn't understand it, and um, so... I guess from an early age, I knew that that wasn't going to be the way that I would build wealth. Um, so real estate spoke to me. Um, I understood um, from an early age that it would be something that I would invest in. I just didn't realize it would become a vocation at the, at the same time. So when did you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? In 1999. Okay, so this is before you came here? Uh, yeah, it was actually right. I think I was getting my, no, it was while I was in university. Okay. Um, and I was on a summer break back home, wintertime in New Zealand, of course. And uh, my uncle and I were talking about it um, and just sitting, sitting up on a couch and just poured through it in about a day. You know, I just couldn't wow. get enough of it. Well, let's take a step back then. Um, not born here. So how did you come here? I actually was recruited to come play uh, for uh, University of Missouri and uh, played on their uh, tennis team. So I was a, an athlete through college, came over on athletic scholarship, um, stayed on and got my MBA, uh, fell in love, got married and stuck around. Gotcha. So athletic background, scholarship, so maybe possibly a little competitive. <laughs> you want to jump straight to my superpower, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hyper competitive. I mean, I have a, uh, I guess a, a story tale um, upbringing. You know, my parents still married, um, very tight-knit family. I'm number two of four siblings, and as a classic middle child, hyper-competitive and always trying to keep up with my older brother, um, live up to him and his standards. And um, my younger sister is a you know world-class athlete and uh, in her own right. And uh, yeah, we've just always been a, a sporty family, and and uh, so hyper-competitive in athletics. Also, obviously transferred into business. Right. So you came here on scholarship. Uh, I remember you shared there was a story that your dad said to you before <laughs> before you came here. Yeah, so you know it was one thing to uh, you know have the excitement of I'm going to go to America, right? I was mm -hmm. born and raised in New Zealand, um, and I think at the age of 18, I'd, I'd already committed to University of Missouri, and you know the ego is kind of like, yeah, I'm going to America, you know, telling all your friends and family. Um, but there was one time around the dinner table that I remember I kind of, it was, I think only about two weeks out and suddenly reality kicks in. 
And I was thinking to myself at the time, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can, I can just always come back. And I remember my father saying, no, you've made a commitment and you will live into that commitment and you will spend four years in America uh, at getting a degree and then you will come home. Yeah. And it wasn't so much, it was a kind of the, the harsh reality of it so much as it was um, tough love. And, uh, you know, I've talked to him since and it was clearly just a, I knew that that's what you needed to hear at the time because, you know, there are times in life where if you, if I had to come over here and just had a, a terrible experience my first week, and for clarity, I'd never even been to Kansas City. I accepted the scholarship without even going to the so there city. There was no traveling. There was no, tra there was no tour. I mean, I'd been to America with my family and done the Disney thing in California. I'd never gone to Kansas City. So it's if I different. came over, had one bad week, and said, oh, my gosh, I'm packing my bags. I want to come home. It would have spoiled my adventure and spoiled my um, opportunity. And I think he understood that and wisely said, hey, just make the commitment. And I think mm -hmm. it was what I needed to, to commit to the process. Have you ever read the book Grit? No. So there was a story of Steve Young, right? Because he was playing for BYU. And he was having a miserable time, right? Because he was like, I think, the third string quarterback. And he basically, he called his dad. like, hey, this football thing's not for me. I want to come home. And his dad basically said, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but you're not coming home. <laughs> like that, sometimes, you know, part of parenting, and obviously now as a parent of a 15 and a 13-year-old, um, you don't. You don't get to say the, the sexy thing, the, the, the friendly thing all the time. Sometimes right. the tough love is what they need to hear. Yeah. All right. So you're back home talking to your uncle about rich dad, poor dad, but you didn't invest in New Zealand. No. You're investing here. You at least wait till you graduated college before you started investing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was just, it was a passion. It was kind of fueling the desire. I was starting to read more books about real estate. Um, and then I stayed on and got my MBA. Um, which was great, and uh, came out of there. And during while I was getting my MBA, worked with my father, my future father-in-law, um, in a small advertising venture um, to do with the airline industry. Um, September 11th killed that um, business, and during that time period, I'd successfully um, bought and sold one house, made decent money that allowed me to like, okay, maybe this is not just a um, a if and and maybe maybe mm -hmm. it's a reality, and let's go see what happens. Well, you're very fortunate to have that. Can this be real? <laughs> Actually become real before everything kind of started falling apart. So then you just jumped right, you just went all in, shoved all your chips in the middle. I paid $5,000 on a credit card at the time uh, to go down and get trained up on buying houses, on the foreclosure process, mm -hmm. buying houses on the courthouse steps. How do you do it? There was a guy down in Springfield, Missouri, um, Larry Holder. I don't even think he's around anymore, but um, he was teaching people how to buy on the courthouse steps and a little bit about real estate and leasing and all that kind of thing. So paid five grand, went down there and invested in myself, make sure I do it the right way. Came back to Kansas City. I went to the courthouse steps and I realized there's no one here. <laughs> like it was just me and a couple of other guys. Yeah. And once I learned, um, you know, the art of buying distressed assets, undervalued assets, it was hard to go wrong. And quite honestly, Steve, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was the glory days, right? I mean, now there's, you know, 50 people on the courthouse steps and right. even the hedge funds are buying on the steps. But yeah. back then it was, uh, it was a gold mine. It was fun. Did you have to run into a um, good old boys network at that time? No, not so much. I mean, there was an initial breakthrough, but once you, you know, proved that you had the capital to, to buy and you proved um, that you, uh, you know, had the staying power and you were going to be there and you weren't just a, hey, I'm going to, you know, see what happens and then leave. Once they knew I was there to stay, um, yeah, there was a, a good group of us. And that was, I mean, goodness, 17 years I've been on the steps. So it's only been the last three that I've, that I've shied away from that. How... 
how long did it take to break into it? Because I mean, you mentioned you had to show it, but because you know the, the nightmare stories is always with the the uh, the Good Old Boys Network was like you know if you want to bid, then they're just gonna both outbid you, right? So that you couldn't do it, so you couldn't buy, so that you would be so discouraged you never come back again. Unfortunately, when you do that against someone who's super competitive, see, all that does is, you know, build oh, my resolve. Um, gotcha. Yeah, it was, you know, with those, it was back in the day, it was, um, you had to physically go to the auctions. Mm -hmm. You had to drive by the house ahead of time. So sometimes the opening bid for auction would not come in until just a couple hours before. So I might be up late at night till one or two o'clock in the morning, researching all the things, finally find the, the, an opening bid came in of $20,000 on a $150,000 house. I'm like, man, I got to run out and check out that, that house. Mm -hmm. And so I would drive, get up early, drive to the house early and be at the, and the auctions at 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. So you drive out there, check it out, do the due diligence. And you, it's just, I was first to market and hustled my way into, into that uh, arena. That's awesome. And then roughly when was this? This is around 2002 and three and four. Okay. Yeah. So, so 2002 was my first courthouse steps acquisition. And that was the first, you, you started buying directly from the auction. What, the first through. deal I, I did was like a, actually a referral. Um, I just kind of said, yeah, I'm getting to real estate. And this guy kind of gifted me like a, it was a new home builder that gift kind of gifted me a house um, that was like, hey, I've got a trade in. Do you want to take a look at it? And it was distressed. And I'm like, sure. And I'm in there painting it and fixing it up, you know, the first time you do. So yeah. that was my first one. But after that, it was, yeah, all courthouse steps after that. I just saw this massive chasm of an opportunity and opening and I just went and jumped in. All right. So then did you, at this point, you're a solopreneur, young. You just did everything. Did you start building out a team? Because, you know, we've talked about entrepreneurship and talent and everything. Like what was young Mark's experience, inexperienced, naive Mark, like how was that experience? Yeah, no, I was smart enough to know that I was never going to be the guy swinging a hammer and nail. Um, call it too proud or uh, just not, or too dumb because I didn't know all about houses. I'd never owned a house before. Um, but no, I, I was, I saw my ability to go find the deals, source the deals and then sell the deals on the back end as um, as my, you know, main uh, staying power. And then the, uh, rehabbers, I let them do their thing. So all about collaboration and, and finding the right partner on the uh, rehab side was, uh, was right from the get go. And then how in your best year buying at the auction steps, what was your best year? Uh, just volume wise, mm -hmm. we've, I've bought 134 on the courthouse steps in one year. Yep. All right. So, and then when did you, change that model or when did you adjust that yeah model? so so clearly the thing for me was when auction auction.com came in and started um offering up all of the information to people um just at the click of a button it used to be where someone would drive by a house and see that it was like abandoned and weeds and and run down um or maybe not even run down but just weeds and, and disheveled and vacant and they would think, how can I get that house? But they wouldn't know. Now you just type in an address and they'll say, yeah, the auction's on Thursday in two weeks time, you know, because <laughs> right. uh, auction.com's done an amazing job of really catering to that, that uh, clientele base. So that changed. And yeah, suddenly we, had, well, we, we suddenly saw going from, you know, three guys on the courthouse steps to six to 10 to 20. And suddenly it got so ultra competitive. I would go, you know, we still had, we were so dialed in. This is, you know, 15 years from when I first started. So we're really dialed in. So we were still going, um, but we were getting outbid by twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, like over our max bid. I mean, I don't know how, even how they were making money. So at that point, you're like, okay, I got to pivot, and we did successfully. Gotcha. All right. So before I ask you how you pivot, let me ask you, because um, I think we're way past the statutes of limitations. How many B and E's did you commit 
buying auction houses. <laughs> you know, the great thing about um, HUD is that they are um, not too sharp. They um, just have one set of keys. And as soon as you get your hands on those set of keys, just need that one, or open, that one lockbox code. Or that one lockbox code. Um, yeah, there was a few lockboxes or, you know, that were broken into and, yeah. and, uh, you know, you know, my, the way I viewed it in my mind was simply if the, in a perfect world, yeah, the, I mean, we'd only, obviously clearly only do it on, on vacant properties. Right. And if the banks had their way, they would want me to go into the house to see how much I could pay for it, you know, to try and give them as much money for they could on the back end. Right. So, but yeah, no, we're doing we would, them a favor. We're doing them a favor. Um, yeah, no, it was a little bit of this and that. But no, in most part, I mean, I always say, you know, if you're walking around the exterior of a home, Steve, um, and this is a good one for people that are that are getting into the, the market now and, and a good tidbit for someone that's first starting, you can see the foundation, the roof, the windows, the siding, the AC unit, which gives you an indication of the, the heat on the inside. And at the end of that, we, we quit doing any crazy things like that, really, because we're like... Look, we know we're going to do all new flooring, all new cabinets, all new countertops, appliances, granite. I mean, it's just it's just math, right? So right. IJM is a little saying in our office. It's just math. So 17K for the inside and everything else you can see the the tragic on the outside and you're, right. you're pretty much there. Yeah. Uh, I only bring that up just because when we were doing it, a lot of auctions back then, it's like, all right, who's going to go into the property? <laughs> I don't want to do it, right? So who's going to go? And that was always that um, oh, kind of had to take turns kind of deal. All right. So you pivoted. You said around 2006? No. So, well, the real, so I was buying on the courthouse steps all the way up until 2017. And that's when we. Oh, until 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were buying all the way up. Okay. And then it was because auction.com really gained power in about 2015, 16. And, Got it. and so, but now just for perspective, our best year was 134 houses on the courthouse steps. And this year we will buy zero. Yeah. Well, I know there was a time where we was like, this is no point. And it was, I want to say it was around like 2013, 2014. No, maybe it was later. It was when all the hedge funds started buying, right? Once Blackstone started buying, it was like, well, what's the point? And like for us, we would look at it like it was listed as a short sale for 140 and no one paid it. And then they would pay for 170. <laughs> and it was like, I can't compete because they're willing to pay over market mm -hmm. at the courthouse steps. But hey, who's smiling now? Those were great buys then, right? I mean, those were great buys. So you guys, at the time, you're thinking these guys are crazy. Now we're like, I would love to go back and pay those prices. So <laughs> there are homes that I've shown over here in Maryvale in West Phoenix. I, I've so, I sold multiple homes between forty thousand and seventy thousand. Those things are going for over three hundred. Unbelievable. Man, if only we were smarter. <laughs> well, and that, honestly, I mean, that is uh, one of my big messages. I mean, obviously, as a turnkey provider, you know, we're selling assets to investors all day long, and you know, some of them, you know, that are not well trained will come in and say, well, I don't, you know, is it really worth that? Or, or I feel like I'm paying market value. And I said, look, if you're buying and holding for 20 years time, you're just going to look back and wish you had bought more. I mm -hmm. mean, it is what it is. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think there were, we were talking over lunch. There's some, uh, there's a rule of thumb you like to use as far as if you buy so many properties. Sure. So, you know, for, for all those rookie investors, one of the things that I did well that changed, changed my life, changed my family tree, truly, was for every three or four properties that I would buy, I would hold one. Mm -hmm. And it's painful because you're turning down cash. It's, it's turning acting, down you, revenue. You could, it's just money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. um, but you've got to think of it in terms of, um, what do they say, De delayed gratification as mm -hmm. a sign of maturity. Mm -hmm. And there's never more so than in real estate. Yeah. If you can just you know, forego that wholesale fee of 10 grand or 20 grand or whatever it is to hold on to that asset and, and own it for the next 10 or 20 years. It's just, 
it's the biggest no brainer. You can't lose. There's a reason why people are buying what you're selling. So, all right. So you did the pivot. So what was that pivot? So the pivot for us was we were getting, uh, you know, outbid on the courthouse steps and that was drying up. Luckily, I'm a part of a real estate mastermind group, which is where I met you, obviously, Collective mm-hmm. Genius, um, right. which we kind of liken to an insurance policy almost because uh, when you're going through tough times, you want to surround yourself with people that have been there, done that or have the answers. And clearly, I was one of the few that were really buying on the courthouse steps. Um, there's probably only you know, maybe 10 of us in, in CG that had any great experience buying on the courthouse steps. Mm. Most of them were just sending out mail. And I'm like, mail, like, you mean people actually answer postcards to say, call me? Yeah. This, this, can't, this can't work. Right. But we pivoted to that. Um, obviously, now we've blown it up and we have just multiple. We are committed to multiple channels for acquisition. Mm-hmm. So we currently get um, 50% of our deal flow from wholesalers. We love wholesalers um, bringing us deal flow. In fact, one of our... Uh, a great thing we're very, very proud of at the office. Uh, in fact, I think we even got T-shirts. I should have wanted today uh, made of it. Is that in 2020 we paid out over a million dollars in wholesale fees, and we yeah. love that. Like I'm, I don't resent that. I love that. Right? Yeah. Like I want to pay out two million next year. Um, so we get a lot of deal flow from wholesalers, but also realtors. Um, those soft referrals. Um, but we are advertising on television, billboard, um, and then advertising through letters and postcards and flyers and and you know yard signs. I mean, you name it. We try and do it all at every professional standard you know the one thing we don't do is we try not to do the ugly postcards and the the signs on the corner and mm-hmm. the things that are just i feel take it down a notch you know mm-hmm. we are a professional organization and i think that's one of the things that real estate investors can get thrown into that little slimy bucket mm-hmm. because they kind of do things and cut corners and b and e as you mentioned yeah <laughs> but you know we you know we have four core values one of them and the first and foremost is professionalism and, and you know i try to say to our group, look, you know, our clients, our high income, high net worth individuals are looking to diversify out of the stock market into real estate have options. Mm-hmm. One of the options is to invest with Edward Jones or Merrill Lynch or UBS and Payne Weber, right? Yeah. They, they can go put their money there or they can choose SBD through mistake-free real estate and invest in us. So let's think of ourselves as real estate financial advisors, not real estate investors. Yeah, and the positioning there is so crucial, right? Because it goes through your image, your branding. So when people are looking at you, they're like, okay, this is professional organization. I think the branding is absolutely important. Uh, so you mentioned a million dollars in fees and you're hoping to pay 2 million this year. So probably we should discuss what markets you're in if people wanted to send you deals. Oh, I would love to. Thank you. Um, so currently, obviously, we're, we are based in, in Missouri, uh, in Kansas City. So that's Kansas and Missouri. Um, we're in the Quad Cities up uh, in Iowa, Illinois area. And then we're actively in uh, Montgomery, Birmingham, Huntsville and Alabama. And now growing into soon to be rolling out at the end of this year, we'll be into um, the kind of the midsection, the the central region we're calling it, which is the Northwest Arkansas. So Fayetteville, Rogers, Springdale, and then Northwest Arkansas, and then Tulsa and Springfield, Missouri. I think I don't think I ever heard anyone sit there in Arkansas. Dude, love love this area. So Walmart has actually poured so much money and time and effort. That's one of the ones that's. Like everyone else is kind of looking at the, I'm like, no, 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 we're going here because it's hot. Um, California, not physically, but Californians are flocking to Northwest Arkansas. Obviously, it's the home for Walmart. So that's where most of the, the corporate exec jobs oh, is that what go. It is? Yeah. Gotcha. So Walmart, Rogers, Arkansas is where Walmart is, is headquartered. So they've poured tons of money into the parks and rec, really high outdoor, almost feels like Colorado, like tons mm-hmm. of outdoor activities and things. It's beautiful. Yeah. So you mentioned Tulsa because it was, uh, you and I were having a conversation, right? Like we both, are working with Wellington to sell now, and Darren just kind of is like, "Oh yeah, by the way, you don't have Tulsa." Like, what do you mean? 
no, when we started this conversation, I was in Oklahoma. He's like, no, you don't have Tulsa. He's like, what happened? You and he, knew. And then I was like, I, oh, wait, it's probably Mark and Chris. All right, fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think so that's awesome. Yeah, 1-800-SELL-NOW is a big, um, that was a pivot for us as well. You know, it's hard to go, to once we knew, and we were going to put our foot on the accelerator, and we can talk about that, because that was a, def that was, that's a, that's not a, something to take lightly. Like right now we're putting our foot heavily on the accelerator pedal and that was not something I would do on my own. Mm -hmm. um, but once we knew we were going to these markets, it's just a, it's not an if, it's a when. And so we have, uh, yeah, secured 12 markets um, around the, the Midwest that we're gonna go attack with the 1-800-SELL-NOW brand. So we're That's excited. definitely putting your foot to the metal. So uh, before we, we go into the expansion part, let's take a step back because you're talking about collective genius. and. You're mentioning like you had to make a pivot so you had to be in this room with these other guys and one question i've been getting recently is like what are you going to do when the market shifts because everyone's kind of anticipating this market shift i'm not really anticipating this market shift but they're asking these questions and they're like you know i've been doing this since 2007 you've been doing this since 2001 right and they're like what experience are you bringing here and i said honestly what we're going through right now is absolutely unprecedented and so i don't know anyone that has the answers but i'm very grateful I'm going to be in a room full of other really smart guys that we're going to figure out the answers together. Yeah, so an, an analogy there, Steve, would be March of 2020. Mm -hmm. There was like, COVID is happening. They're shutting down offices. We may not be able to work. Tenants may not pay rent. Landlords will be mad at us. What, you know, we won't be able to buy anymore. We won't be able to go into living rooms to, to, to buy deals. What are we going to do? You remember those first like on deck calls at CG? There was a lot All of stress. Hands on I think we broke Zoom, right? Like yeah. so many people on there. But... We gained clarity, we had a plan, we put it together, and we all won together. And it was, uh, I think the same thing will happen. I'm, I have zero stress about the market. I think, we've, yeah. A, we've got tons of runway, but B, I know that, uh, I mean, for us in particular, you know, we have, a, um, we have a business that transcends any market cycles because right. we provide a value add service. We're not trading paper or doing anything, but we are buying, rehabbing, renting out, property managing and selling those those assets to our end user investors. So I think yeah. that's something that will stand the test of time. So direct mail was the first pivot mm -hmm. and you've committed to more marketing channels. Mm -hmm. Were there any other pivots? Well, there was a huge mental pivot. Okay. So um, when I, uh, I, when I, so the one thing you've stepped over, which, you know, I certainly don't need to dwell on, but I will say that in, you know, it wasn't all roses, right? I want to be clear that no one has that rosy, you know, perfect uh, business cycle. From 2001 through 2007 and eight, I had um, two silent business partners that were, you know, kind of bankrolling the operation. And that ended in a business divorce. The old, the only ship that never sails is a partnership. Very true for my uh, tent there. So I got voted off the island oh. um, two to one, which was, which was a hard pill to swallow. Um, but then that was my biggest pivot ever, right? It's like, okay, I'm back to nothing. Everything's been taken away from me. We had 120 rentals at the time that were just gone. You got forced out. Forced out. With Hostile nothing takeover. to show for it. Nothing to show for it. Other than they finally, after not paying my mortgages for three months, mm -hmm. right? They finally uh, paid down those, uh, those mortgages and, I, and we walked away. Um, so yeah, that was a massive time in my life where it was, um, okay, um, you know, cause then you have those conversations with your wife and family and friends like, oh, you know, real estate didn't work out. I'm like, no, it's been going fine. I just got absolutely <laughs> dealt a tough one. 
And yeah. so that's when I pivoted and said, no, I, I got this. I mean, it was my operation. I was 100% the operations guy. So I already had my rehab crews. So all I did was pivot. And that's really when the turnkey model, before I knew what turnkey was, was when I pivoted to start using other people's money to do the transactions. Only I was just a service provider. So those... What warranted, in their mind, voting you off the island? Mate, that is a, honestly, a whole nother podcast. <laughs> is I, it? I, it is... Uh, we just like greed. You know, okay. Is that fair? I think it's totally fair. So greed. They were totally short-sighted. One of them lost their job and panicked. They were best friends and said, "Hey, let's just park it right now and get get them out." Yeah, it was bad. Okay, so very malicious. Very. Okay, so that was what gave you the ability to jump out on your own. So now I'm on my. I mean, I was on my own um, operationally. Now on my on my own um, financially and running it, and obviously you know, have transformed the way I would do business now never giving up ownership of, of, you know, my assets, happy to rev share, mm -hmm. but just not ownership, right? Big right. difference. So now I'm going down that path and, um, slowly and surely, I think a little, you know, once bit and twice shy, I probably didn't put my foot on the accelerator pedal as quickly as most CG guys do. Mm -hmm. I think the, the visionary maverick, like just hard charging. There's a lot of guys, like I've been doing it 20 years and there's guys that are doing the same volume as us, um, that have been in like five years, you know, mm -hmm. But they're rocky, you know, they have their own issues. Um, we slowly and organically grew this thing back up. Excuse me. And um, yeah, it was just this progression of, you know, first buying for other people. And then when I'd make some money from that, I would, you know, turn around and, and buy one for myself and then go make some more money and buy one for myself. I was, you know, we've always, my wife and I, bless her heart, we've always lived well below our means. And um, so we just poured our money into real estate from 2008 onwards. Um, in fact, a little bit before that. And um, yeah, so we now have a, you know, pool of rental property that's substantial and, and, uh, yeah, that's been a, a good blanket of security to kind of fall back on. So I want to talk about this mental pivot, you know, cause we did kind of like kind of gloss awesome. over it, but there is massive adversity, all industries, but we get to witness it all the time in real estate, right? Whether it's, you know, like a deal that you're going to close, you've been working for six months and it's like, you know, finally get this big payday for your first deal. And then something came up. And you don't close your first deal. So there's a lot of things, or you're trying to quit your job, and you, you're you're expecting all this to work, and it didn't go the way you're supposed to go. So there's a lot of adversity in this business. What did you do? Because it sounds like sounds like you got dealt a huge, tremendous blow. How did you overcome that adversity? I, I mean, I burned the boats. You know, I was on the. I, I didn't have any other option. I just, you know, I knew I had a proven track record of success. So that's kind of the thing. I, it wasn't like the business failed. It was a hostile takeover. So mm -hmm. my business model was sound. They weren't even in the market anymore. It's not like they came in and started doing what I was doing. They didn't know how to. They just took the assets. And so I was able to go and just keep doing what I was doing, mm -hmm. use some other people's money, because um, that obviously, you know, cut me off of the knees. And right. then I was able to just, just rebuild. And you being the operator, you already had the reputation. So 100%. So you could oh, resume. Honestly, a lot of people didn't even know. Like, it was just an internal, like, you know, you cry in, in private and, mm -hmm. and uh, smile in public, right? Yeah. So it was, yeah, I shed some tears for sure. Yeah. All right. So then down the road, you're, you're, you're growing. So, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show, they go from never having done a deal, open to the first deal, to doing maybe a couple deals a month to some of these guys doing double digits a month. This part where you went from being a solopreneur to being in multiple states, like what is that journey like? Yeah, that is where a massive pivot, right? And, and I would not do it without the right team around me. And so I made a big decision in uh, 2018 
um, to hire uh, an integrator. Um, as a solopreneur, I think you have to just start with the end in mind. You've got to think, where do I really want to go? Am I happy just doing, you know, 40, 50, 60 deals a year, maybe even 100, 100 years? It seemed like at 100, you know, have a little bit of stress and the wheel, the, you know, the speed wobbles. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, this, I picture like 100 of your, on your own, you're like the Prius with a donut yeah. wheel. <laughs> yeah. So you have to decide, do I, you know, where do I want to get to? And I'm just a guy that's, I see other people, you know, and that's the other thing about being in the room in CG, right? You see other people doing it. Like, well, that guy's doing it. Let me talk to him. Mm -hmm. He seems like a normal guy. I could probably go do that. So it does give you a little bit of confidence. But I saw how he did it. Um, and so, you know, Dan Lane and Jeremy Fish were a pretty big inspiration to me, just seeing, wow, they just have it dialed in. They just focus on their business. They they pr practice what they preach. And um, they're very calculated. They're very calm. They, they have steady pace. They just follow up. They follow up. And they have process and systems and procedures. And so I, I knew that I needed And then, honestly, a big... Uh, thing for me when I, when EOS came around, it gave us some a, an overlay of structure. But I, I saw quickly I didn't have the right the exact right team in place, and specifically missing after I read the book Rocket Fuel by Gino Wickman. Um, that's when I'm like, oh my god, I am a hundred percent visionary, and I suck at holding people accountable. I don't have systems. I don't have procedures. I don't have any manuals or things written down. Everyone's mm -hmm. just like, it's a genius with a thousand helpers model, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was struggling with, um, with I, that. I don't think I've heard that before. It makes total sense. I, it's just, it, it resonates very well. What thoroughly. does Mark want to do? We better go ask Mark. And you can't scale when every decision <laughs> has to come through Mark. So yeah. now, I mean, I, I don't really get consulted. Um, I hired uh, Chris Johns, my uh, COO, and he and I uh, form a very good partnership. Um, we're very much aligned on vision. We know where we're going to go. Our BHAG is a thousand homes a year, and we know we can get there because there's already one company in the in the country doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but we want to get to a thousand homes a year, and then that's why we're going after twelve markets. Yeah, and Chris is a really sharp dude. So when you were talking about hiring an integrator, you read Rocky Fuel, and you're going to hire an integrator. Chris is the guy we're talking about. Yes. Okay. So Chris is not a slouch. Chris is not someone you're going to find on Craigslist. So what did you have to do to get someone of Chris's caliber? I guess before we answer that question, just let the listeners know what was Chris doing before you got him. Sure. So Chris was a highly paid um, sales director for healthcare industry, right? So um, corporate America, climbing the corporate ladder. Um, I think he wouldn't mind me saying that he didn't love his job. Mm -hmm. um, he had to travel a lot, um, was on the road a ton. Because when you climb that corporate ladder, you suddenly get a region. Right. It's not you're not just in Kansas City. It's a, a region. Oh, you're so good. We're going to you're going to own this region. And then it's like more oh, responsibility, great. more responsibility. But suddenly, you know, he, there I think there was one year where he spent an equal number of um, or maybe more nights in a hotel room than he did in his own bed. And that's where it's kind of like, man, with young kids. So um, he and I were uh, golfing buddies while he was in Kansas City. He had moved down to Phoenix, still remained friends. Um, had never even considered him for that role because I, you know, you figure he's enjoying what he's doing. But as I would, you know, tell him more about a business, and he actually was an investor in our business as a turnkey, uh, as an investor, you know, buying our turnkey assets. So he knew our business model a little bit, and um, yeah, so we were able to to come on board. But it was so. What happened? You ask what happened. What happened was I had to change my mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think most the, the a massive mistake that small business entrepreneurs make or solopreneurs is that when they go to hire, they pick a number, let's call it forty thousand of what they're willing to pay somebody, and they go get the best person at that rate. Mm -hmm. You got to flip the script. 
you say, forget, okay, you have, I'll clearly have a budget, but you got to think if I, I got to go get the most talented person that I can get mm -hmm. and then pay them whatever they want to get them on board within reason. Mm -hmm. So you go hire the most talented individual for that. You know, you have a, a pay range rather than an amount. Right. And I think that was the thing. I, I mean, you know, I was, you know, clearly had to, you know, open up the checkbook to get a guy of Chris's caliber on board. Right. Right. Um, so that was something that was uncomfortable. But, you know, after wise counsel and talking to people and understanding what other big time COOs were making, um, you know, found that it was the right thing to do. And it, I mean, clearly, I mean, you know, it'll be 10 X. Right? right. So, so you're very fortunate that you guys were golfing buddies mm -hmm. <laughs> and a client. So if I were to say, Hey, you know, um, or not myself, but, Oh, a, a friend of yours says, hey, I'm trying to hire and scale. I'm trying to get the six states, trying to do all these transactions. Where do I go find someone like Chris? No, that fair question. And I think the answer, again, for a professional organization is probably LinkedIn or Indeed, mm -hmm. first of all. The second thing is you've got to look outside real estate. He didn't have any real estate experience. He'd owned a house and he'd owned a couple of rental property, but he right. didn't know the business. But you don't need to know the Right. You need to know how to manage people and process and systems and mm -hmm. overlay some level of accountability and company culture. It's building that up that really matters. And so just finding someone that A, has the right um, disc or PI or CI index, whatever you want to call it, that would allow them to come in and be the right kind of operator. I think there's enough research around that concept now um, that Thankfully. someone could, yeah, that you could actually find the right personality type. Even just read the book Rocket Fuel. Um, if you read the book Rocket Fuel, it has that little um, you know test in there. And if you just answer all that, if that guy answers all those cool gal answers all those questions and says, "Yeah, I'm like off the charts integrator," that's a pretty good start. And then yeah. it's like Great you start. know making sure that you can um, you know work with them. I mean, make no mistake about it, Chris runs our business. You know you have to be ready. So the next thing is, are you ready to elevate out of the business? And think strategically and you know we wouldn't be in 12 states without chris but we wouldn't be in 12 states without me being able to elevate out of my day-to-day -day so i can go focus and think you know one of the realizations that i had was uh randy lawrence loves to say it's easier to do than to think and i suddenly gave myself permission to think mm -hmm. i needed to give myself permission because sometimes you just have a relaxing moment and it's kind of the same thing with prayer or meditation. It it's kind of feels a little awkward sometimes. You're just sitting yeah. there and it's like, am I thinking about the right thing? Am I thinking? You've got to give yourself time, whether it be on the golf course or fishing or running or walking or spending time with your spouse or relaxing. As soon as your body gets away from the day-to-day -day and you can start thinking strategically, all of these ideas pop up and you have clarity. Mm -hmm. But the whirlwind and tornado of the day-to-day -day operations of a business is not where you find strategy and vision. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the thing that Chris has done well and, and my whole team, I have to praise my team because they know, you know, I, there are some businesses, I'm sure, where if, you know, the, the boss is not in the office, they think, oh, he's on the golf course or he's doing this or that or he's shirking. They know that if I'm in the, in, in the office, they're not getting the most out of me. And they have freed me up to relax, spend time and just think, which has been yeah. a blessing. So Chris aside, right, I think your competitive advantage is you've got amazing people. And something that you and I were talking about even before we started, you were, you were mentioning to me, it's like, wow, you've got really talented people here. What are you doing to attract talent? Wow. Um, never a more pertinent time to ask that question um, because that is something we are extremely committed to. In fact, 2019, our mantra was hire talent. And that was all through 2019 was just hire talent, hire talent. We haven't, we haven't 
um, taking our foot off that accelerator. In fact, we've even doubled down. Just recently, we even hired a director of talent acquisition and retention um, with the idea that you not only have to hire talented people, but train them and coach them because every person wants to bring out the best in themselves. And we have amazing people in the office, but they don't get much time with me. Right. They don't get much time with Chris. Um, and, and you, and you got to realize they can sometimes be in a silo. So you have to come together. You have to spend time coaching them, training them, making sure the best version of themselves. And so we now have a full-time person doing that. Secondarily, obviously in each silo, whether it be property management, give them education and further education and acquisitions, a uh, quick shout out. I mean, the Steve Trang training that you've done for our team has been instrumental in helping our um, people, you know, become better in the living room and mm -hmm. better at, you know, sales over the phone, sales training. So you invest in the people and then provide a, a great atmosphere of, of fun. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do, but I think it comes together when you have people of like mind that are competitive, that want to win and you celebrate winning together. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think, in, sorry, in the four dysfunctions of a team, Chris McChesney says it really well. He says, you give your employees a winnable game and then keep score and you'll have success. And I oh, like that one a lot. I love that. Um, so you mentioned that you're not available necessarily and Chris is not available because he's got operation to run. And so this person, uh, the uh, recruiting and retention is kind of their coach as well? She, she is becoming that. I will say, Chris, um, it's been a, you know, with me elevating out, he, mm -hmm. it, is, it has been a lot on him. Um, I imagine. Yeah. So, no, to say he, Chris is not available, he has been extremely available. So, I mean, again, we're only one month into our hire of this person. Okay. But the idea is that she will live into what Chris has been doing extremely well. Gotcha. But, um, you know, so he has been very one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, spending time with each individual employee. How are you doing? Where can we help you? What can we do better? Where are we, where are we winning? Where are you struggling? What can we, I mean, he's been that, but, but that can't be the role of the COO. So now we have a full-time person that will be living into that role. Um, and again, with, you know, hand in hand with Chris. So now we have a male and a female in, the, in that role of both coaching. And I think it's a, a healthy place to be for the org. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's great. Cause that's something that uh, I was talking to Jason Lewis about, you know, like, he signed up for our sales training, which is, you know, incredibly, incredibly grateful. And he also has a one-on-one -on -one coach for each acquisition guy, right? Like he's hired a third party outside the organization to coach each person. Like, man, that's like so awesome. Like that's the ultimate investing in your team. I think Ren's Bartlett does the same thing too. They are great practitioners as well. Yeah, they're really, they're putting their foot on the accelerator too. It's kind of fun to see them. Yeah. So let's talk about this, putting the foot on the accelerator. So what does putting on the foot accelerator mean? and what would it look like when you're done? So what it means to us is recreating our business model in other markets. Um, you know, really it's not, I mean, we're not, you know, it's probably a bad analogy in the sense that it sounds like you're getting out of control. I would not be um, comfortable. Let, let me say it this way. We've built the car. If you want the car analogy, we have built the car now where we can go fast and we don't get the speed wobbles anymore. It's enough to like, hey, quick, the check engine lights come on, boom, we fix it and we move on. Um, you know, velocity of capital is a big deal in our business, meaning we have to turn houses quickly when you're doing 300 a year and we're not wholesaling. We don't wholesale at all. We buy from wholesales. We're rehabbing 300 houses this year, Steve. That's crazy. So, I mean, it's, it's a big job, right? So just for with, context, how many houses is that at, at a time? Uh, no, always any, some cycle. Yeah. At any given moment, you know, so we average around just over 5.5 .5 months of, uh, so it's around 104 houses at a time. <laughs> 
All right, so go back to your Yeah, so (laughs) we've got the analogy of the car. um, And so, yeah, putting your foot on the accelerator to me means that we are now willing to expand and grow without stressing out the organization. Yeah. And so what that looks like is taking our operating procedures, our processes, and overlaying them in other markets where we know it's going to be a success. I'm one of those guys. I don't take risk, which sounds crazy because... You know, we're in this game of like, you buy low, you try and sell high, you hope you make money. It's like, no, we buy already knowing that it's sold on the back end. Mm-hmm. We don't really take risks. We know our investors are going to love these other markets. We have a, uh, although we're going to flip, you know, a couple of hundred full turn keys this year, uh, which are our, our rental properties. If we had 600, we could sell them with the demand for our product right now. And so really, it's just living into the demand that's already there for our product. So it's kind of just ramping up production, mm-hmm. knowing that de- the demand is already there well, and knowing that the team will not be stressed by it. They'll be challenged, don't get me wrong. And we'll have to grow and, and hire, which is, again, why we hired the talent acquisition person, because we'll probably hire maybe 30 or 40 L, uh, full-time employees in the next 24 to 30 months. So how many employees? We, we will grow, probably double our, our full-time headcount in the next 12 to 24. Wow. And so kind of what you're talking about, it sounds like, you know, a principle we heard a long time ago, which is reverse wholesaling. Find out what buyers are willing to buy and then go source that from wholesalers or the market. Chris, uh, Steve, that's exactly what we do. Chris and I sit down. We say, okay, if our investors are willing to buy at, say, a seven cap, right, in in this market, well, you just go, it's IJM. It's just math. (laughs) So then we come in and say, okay, we need to buy it for this because we know we're going to rehab it for that. We can sell it for this. And it's, you know, your margins are there. And you got your buy box. Yeah. And keep in mind, I mean, you know, you don't get these massive rips, right? Like, you know, a wise man once told me, a good friend of mine who has multiple businesses and plays golf nearly every day, quite literally, great business owner of multiple different, different, uh, like a boot company, a, a smoothie store. He's got a trash company, a biz, true business owner. He says, Eltor, I'm playing golf, just hitting singles all day while you're out there trying to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. You know, he said this about five years ago and it kind of sat with me and I'm like, you know, he's right. It's, if you just go out and get base hit, base hit, base hit. In fact, I think Tim Bratz even commented something like that on Facebook a while back. Yeah. He said, just go get the base hits. You don't need to swing for the fences on every deal. And as you scale, it's all about just getting singles mm-hmm. and as many singles as you can. And every once in a while, those singles turn into yeah, a home run. Well, and clearly right now in this market, they're turning into home runs. A lot of people are looking really smart right now. Yes. Um, all right. So let's go to some of these questions. Uh, so Michael Frank says you're a solid, solid dude. Thank you, Mike, uh, for that. Uh, Michael York, so you lived in Rogers, Arkansas for a short while and they were building everywhere. So, yep. Uh, so Gavin Bugliomi, I'm hoping, if I'm reading this correctly, can you live on Burr income? So, could you build a lifestyle around Burr? If I am taking his question as, um, you know, obviously that Burr, you know, buy, it's tough right now in this marketplace. Back in the day, 100%, right? Easy. I mean, in fact, that was one of the business models I had was simply, you know, using other people's money. I'd say, look, you're silly not to. We would, um, you know, buy them a house, rehab it for them, get it rented out, they'd cash out refi. So use cash, but then cash out refi, and pull out mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, all, if not maybe a little bit more of everything they had in it and just keep going. Um, I think one of the, to address that question, I'm going to say this. I think one of the biggest, as a guy who sells turnkey real estate for a living, I will say that we coach all of our investors not to get swayed on passive income that is fully leveraged. Um, I think one of the dirty little secrets in real estate is that leveraged assets at 80% leverage don't cash flow. I mean, mm-hmm. who's going to live off 200 bucks a month? Right. It's just not going to happen. 
Um, you have to have so much scale to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And most people that are you know, trying to live off the cash flow don't have that kind of cash. It's only once they're paid off. So our investors are coached to buy you know, just four or five houses a year and um, you know, just put 20% down, get 80% leverage, buy, so scale with leverage, and then start to aggressively pay down debt. I think the ideal model for a turnkey buyer would be you have your active income, you pour whatever you can into those passive and assets to build up your asset column, mm -hmm. then start aggressively paying down your debt. Um, because only when it's paid off or you know, majority of it is paid off is, is it really life-changing to where you could actually live off the cash flow. Right. So I'm going to say, I'm going to ask a question. This might sound totally ignorant, right? Coming from Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we look over here, California, particularly, you know, these guys are doing 40K, diamond fees, 100K flips on a regular basis. And that looks sexy, mm. right? No one knows how much it costs to do all that, but it looks sexy. And I look at all our friends in the Midwest, like these guys are building real wealth through Burr. They're finding these properties, pulling out cash out refis. They don't even need an income because they're just doing, they're living off the cash out refis. These guys are building real wealth and have almost no taxable income because everything's depreciating. Bingo. So would you agree or disagree that no. it's easier to create wealth in the Midwest Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, easier to make bigger chunks of active income potentially in real estate in the, in the bigger markets just because you have, you know, if you're talking percentages, you know, your, your value of land and the, and the sales price on the back end is just way, way bigger. But in the mid, I, I think real estate is a crockpot business, not a microwave business. You're in the business of getting wealthy slowly over time, not getting rich quick. Because every time that you click over and accept some cash for a transaction, you're going to be chinked 30% for tax right mm -hmm. off the bat. Right. You know, and, and then you have nothing to show for it. It's just transactional. I'm trying to build wealth for our investor base. Oh, and um, that's just following the strategy that I do, just buy and hold assets. And 20 years later, everyone will be like, how did you do that overnight? You know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, this thing's been sitting in the crock pot yeah. for 20 years. So if I were young and single, actually, because I, I actually made this a suggestion to someone that was in my sales training on Friday. He's like, I'm really frustrated in San Diego. I was like, how old are you? He's like, I'm 23. I think was what, what it was. Like, yeah, are you married? He's like, no, kids. And I was like, then move out of San Diego, move in the Midwest, yeah. do a bunch of burrs, find properties, do cash out refis. And if you want to live in San Diego later on, go back. Well, and, and in fairness, go, stay in San Diego. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a big, Steve, I'm a big believer in collaboration, right? Yeah. I believe collaboration over, collaboration over isolation is one of the keys to my success. I mean, inside CG, I've, I've partnered with so many different avenues from the direct mail to the training, to television advertising, to our name of our company now. Um, and, and it's always been about collaboration. Why can the guy that not, you know, hammer it out in San Diego making big reps, but just invest in the Midwest? Mm -hmm. We have investors from Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, China, the UK, all over the world, and they're investing in the Midwest. Really? Yeah. It's that that was the biggest thing that turned us around in 2008, nine and 10. The irony was that American investors that I knew were like, oh, my God, I would never invest in real estate. Terrible. Have you not seen the crash that's happened, Mark? I'm like, why is it that when Walmart has a sale of 50 percent off, everyone goes rushing to the door? Yeah. But when real estate has a sale of 50 percent off, everyone's like, I would never touch real estate. Yeah. And I was just wise enough to say that's an opportunity. You know, it's interesting because when uh, as a realtor in that time, I had a lot of Australian money buying real estate in the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. They knew something we didn't know. <laughs> All right. So uh, Raylan says he loves the family tree line comment. Uh, let's see what else is. If uh, Benjamin Beck wants to know if you could have coffee with someone dead or alive, who would it be? 
Um, that's a good question. Have coffee with someone dead or alive? Who would it be? Um, Simon Sinek comes mm -hmm. to mind. Um, Tiger Woods. Um, you know, obviously he's had his transgressions, but I just think he's such a mental giant. The things that he was able to do in his profession um, transcended sport. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Simon Sinek is someone I um, kind of look up to and, and will always consume his, his media. Um, he is extremely wise. Um, he is. And has great, uh, you know, it's, for where I'm at in my life, right? Trying to lead people. It's, it's hard. Like, that's one of the greatest challenges I have is leading an organization of people that are just growing. You know, now we have, you know, 25 people in the office that are, um, you know, having to be led. And that's something that I, I wear with, with great respect. Well, I think that's the hardest thing in this. Every person, well, I take that back. Everyone initially has problems with marketing. Where do I find leads? Where do I find leads? Once you solve that, because it's really not that hard to solve that. Once you solve it, everyone struggles with people. <laughs> it is the hardest. Yep. It's the last frontier. Uh, Leo Aguirre wants to know, what is your why? What is, what is pushing? What is pushing? I kind of see myself at the pearly gates um, with a tablet that, you know, I'll be sitting there with Jesus and he'll say something along the lines of, Mark, here's what you did and here was your, here's what I created you for. I just want to try and live up to getting those as closely aligned as possible. It's not a fear I have, um, but I just want to try and be the best version of myself. And so I put my heart and soul into being the best dad I can be, the best husband I can be, best friend I can be. Um, I'm a guy that does do those random acts of kindness. I try and, you know, do everything I can to reach out to people. I want to be, dude, at my funeral, I hope they just pack the rafters because everyone just wants to come say goodbye, you know, like, yeah. and just have that last memory. Like I... I enjoy life. I love what I do. I love, you know, where I live. Um, you know, I, the only, I'm not going to call it a regret, but the, the only challenge I have um, that I struggle with, Steve, is just I have a very tight-knit family um, in New Zealand, and, um, you know, it is hard being away from them um, yeah. for so long. And, you know, with COVID now, shutting down the borders effectively, you know, you have to go sit in a hotel for two weeks if you want to get in. Um, yeah, it's been tough. Um, so you mentioned best father you can be, best husband. So what are you doing to be the best husband you can be, father you can be? Time, right? Just got to spend time. Um, and, you know, creating opportunities. Um, you know, when my daughter was young, um, I was the dad that, you know, said, you know, she wasn't an athlete. Jack, Jack and I have always had a great bond because he's a sporty kid. Throw the baseball, throw the football, go play golf, um, kick the soccer ball around. Um, just, you know, obviously easy for a dad. Um, but I was the dad that actually put on um, a costume and went and danced with my daughter on stage, you know, because she loved dancing. Um, you know, I love taking her out on date days and just spending time. Um, one of the things I do, uh, you know, to try and be the best husband I can be is just celebrate the wins. Um, we recently celebrated our 20-year wedding anniversary and did it in style. Um, you know, rented a, a lovely uh, Jason Medley-style um, house on the... Uh, Pacific Ocean down in Puerto Vallarta and had our best friends that were actually in our wedding come with us. And that was really special to us. So that's also to have them in your wedding. Also. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you have those moments. I mean, life is just a journey, but I, I love to celebrate along the way. And so I try to, 
you know, you know, obviously discipline and encourage my children, but just get them to to love life because life is not given. We had a, a uh, two people this year at our at our golf club at the country club passed away in their fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, life is not given. Tomorrow is not given, and so I do try to celebrate today as much as possible. Um, Louis Cartouche wants to know what are your thoughts on college. Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I th- that is a, such a great question for me um, because I, it's one I struggle with. Um, I value college, um, but for different reasons. Like I think um, for, in the real estate industry, you could go, you know, come to Steve Trang's training and get, you know, go straight into the real estate industry. But I think at an, at an age of 18 to 19, you're not fully matured. I think it gives you good social skills. I think it, uh, gives, it gives you a more worldly perspective. I think it allows you to kind of relax. I think you've just gone through, you know, 12 years of schooling, um, you know, kind of a grind. And then you're like, okay, I'm not really ready to go be a man or a woman. I don't really know what I want to do yet. I think college is that time period where you can let it out, have some fun, um, surround yourself with some really fun, you know, loving people, um, while at the same time bettering yourself, learning about your a spe- specified field. Of, of, or craft that you want to get into because there are real estate universities as well as you know um so it's a time to mature and i so i would say i will never discourage my children from um you know going to college however it's not the be all and end all um it is certainly not something that is um you know that, that's a must-have for everybody I, I was blessed my parents um sacrificed a lot and actually um you know, paid for us to go to private high school in New Zealand, the number one high school in New Zealand called King's College. And so that's where I, you know, I learned um, how lucky I was uh, coming out of, of that experience, coming over to America, not really knowing if, if my high school grades would transcend or not, but I was certainly ahead of the field co- compared to the American students that came in, or at least not lagging. And so um, I think that's been a great in us that, you know, education is there to, um, it just has to be an all-round education. You know, it has to be, you know, in the arts, um, I'm a, I love Broadway. I'm a huge Broadway fan. Really? Yeah. Like just, uh, theater. My, my brother is a, a you know, world famous actor and in, in New Zealand is on number one show in New Zealand. And that's awesome. So he's doing his thing. We've always had a fascination of the arts and the theater in our family. My dad's a great musician. So I just, I think you can be more well-rounded if you allow yourself to be educated, um, you know, all, all through life. Um, and Vincent, asked did you see operation moving towards fund do you see your operation moving towards fund management in the future no but i do believe that um he that controls the capital controls the market and so we are not narrow-minded to think that we're only doing single family homes so currently we have a tranche of new home construction build to rent uh, that we'll be offering our clients um we have our single family portfolio that's just you know rehabbed properties we have um, a multifamily portfolio and some syndication deals as well. So at the end of the day, what we are trying to do is cater to high income, high net worth individuals that are really kind of saying, hey, we want to invest in real estate, but no one's taking our money. No, no one's doing it professionally. They have to go do it themselves. And there's a massive void in the market to just click on a button to make real estate as easy as clicking on a button and saying buy. And that's not there right now. And so we are trying to fill that massive void and I think that's where we've found success is that there are people that are willing to, you know, pay for our service, gold star service that will allow them to invest safely and securely and with good returns in, in whatever uh, medium we choose. Mistake free. Mistake free real estate. 
Uh, Michael Santiago wants to know who helped you create a minds your mindset. I'm a, I'm a massive book reader, so you know, for those that don't, um, you know, I think I'm going to trail behind it. My goal this year was to to just read a book a week. Um, but yeah, I I've always read, um, and and that's that's really. Uh, um, where it started. But I think it also, there's a bit of upbringing. I think I don't want to shy away from giving my parents a massive um, tip of the cap because my mother and father were so positive. They always just had that, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Hey, mom, I, you know, there's this guy that's going to play tennis in America on a scholarship. I think I might want to do that. Oh, great. Like, can you imagine your kid just flying across to Australia right now and living there forever? Like most parents in America, like, I would never do that. My parents, like, yeah, if you want to do that, I support you. Mm -hmm. My sister, like, I want to go try and be a world-class triathlete. Okay, I support you. I'll get you up at 5 a.m. in the morning and then, you know, take you to school and then take you biking in the afternoon and then go for your evening run. You know, my younger brother, hey, I want to be a world-class uh, actor and I want to go to, to acting school in New York. No problem. Go do that. My older brother, he's like, hey, I want to go you know, go over to Camp America, do a summer camp. They just encourage us to explore the world and you can do anything you want to do. So I think, it, you know, parenting is a massive responsibility. It is. Like I take that on very seriously. Like I want my kids to get the most out of life. And I think it, with the media and um, their cell phone usage and everything that comes along today, there's a, there's a bigger responsibility on parenting now because you have a babysitter and an electronic device, and yet you don't get to tell the babysitter what you can tell your kids. Right. And so if you hit the easy button and just let them sit on that all day, watch out. Yeah, who knows what's corrupting their brains. Um, so Raylan Weiss wants to know, do you ever sell turnkey via owner finance? Currently, no. Um, and then let's see. Andrew wants to know, if you were to start all over again, let's just say it's in 2021, mm -hmm. you're brand new. <laughs> Andrew's giving me a heartache right now. I couldn't do it. <laughs> what would be the first thing you'd do? Um, you know, wholesaling is kind of click that easy button to get in, right? If you mm -hmm. don't have any money, wholesaling is a good way to do it. Surround yourself with people that um, I would surround myself in a mini mastermind. People that are in a community that can that are doing the same kind of things, um, you know, whether it's a meetup, um, I'd kind of meetups are fine. Um, don't necessarily um, spend much time in them myself, um, but I think actually like more just getting four or five people that are aligned in mindset and they meet and hold each other accountable and check each other's goals and KPIs. I think I would just start there and then just just hustle and grind, man. Whenever way, I'd pick a niche and hammer it to death. That's I think one thing that I did well. I wasn't distracted. I just was like, hey, I'm a courthouse steps guy. That's all I buy is courthouse steps, courthouse steps. And until that went away, I, 17 years, I'm just like crushing it on the courthouse steps because that's all I knew how to do, but that's okay. Like I don't, you don't need to be all things to all people. You can pivot a little bit or, or cater here and there, but keep the blinders on and uh, just do one thing really, really well. Keeping the blinders on is really hard <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur. Yes, sir. How do you keep your blinders on? Um, how do you keep the blinders on? Uh, I, I would go back to accountability. I think you have to tell people, hey, help me keep the blinders. I, I need to focus on this. Don't let me go down this path. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a COO or as a solopreneur, that's why a solopreneur, it's hard to do because sometimes they think that they're on an island. And I felt that way, right? I felt that I could never open up to anybody in Kansas City because they were either a competitor or they didn't know my business. Mm -hmm. And now with a group like Collective Genius or you know, a, a, just a, a group of, of like-minded individuals, you can go in and say, hey, I want to be held accountable. 
please make sure that I stay on task. Right. You, you know, once you're an adult, if you can't do it yourself, ask for help, you know, and that I think that would be the answer to that question is simply just, you know, if you feel like you're getting off offline, be smart enough to and the other one is write down. Like, I think too many people just have it up here. And so then their brain, they don't know. But if you yeah. write down your goals and push towards your goals on a daily, weekly or monthly, quarterly basis, that certainly gives clarity of purpose as well. Absolutely. And I love what you said, finding four or five people trying to do what you're trying to do. Because we know your frame of reference is the single biggest predictor of success. Collaboration over isolation. Don't yeah. don't live with your head in the sand trying to, you know, be. it's not you versus the world. It's the world is here to help you. Right. I haven't heard it put that way before. I think that's awesome. Um, so we already talked about your superpower. Well, elaborate on it. Yeah, I think, you know, you know as a golfer, I, I enjoy... I, I hate making bogeys more than I ma enjoy making birdies. In mm -hmm. fact, there's a joke at the club that I'm the best par putter at the club, right? Because I know I hate to make a bogey, but I'm not aggressively chasing the birdies. I think a little too conservative by nature, perhaps, but <laughs> I, I hate to lose. And um, in business, um, yeah, I certainly can't stand it. And, you know, that, but yeah, that would be my superpower is just an extreme competitive nature. Got it. So. And I'm asking this question because the next question is, how do you stay motivated? Or is that not even? Um, honestly, the business now is kind of running out without me. And so the motivation has changed. The motivation for me is more fun when I'm not in the whirlwind. I'm not in the day-to-day. -day. Um, I think the motivation for me is how do I find more people? And that's mm -hmm. fun, you know, getting to meet new people and bring them on board and change lives. Um, the motivation to me is kind of, you know, looking at the numbers and trying to grow um, and impact more people. Um, you know, the, the great thing with our operation is that at the end of the day, we're rehabbing ugly houses and providing quality rental properties to tenants and then selling those full turnkey assets to investors. Like win, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Like we're really trying to, you know, in every stage along the way, unless we drop the ball, we should be enriching lives and changing neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the motivation for me is just there. It's like, hey guys, how, how many more of these can we do? So then what is your biggest struggle? Talent, um, which is why we hired someone specifically for that. Um, yeah, I think in any small business um, and maybe in any business, um, people, as you said, it always comes back to people. And, Making sure that you have central alignment of vision, common uh, commonalities of goals and strengths, um, and, and just getting the most talented individuals, um, knowing that when you train them and do things right, they're going to leave one day. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think the, the stressor, back to our earlier point about, you know, what a solopreneur maybe does poorly is they, they hope that that person, will, they, they want to pay someone maybe of lesser talent thinking that that other talent will come in and steal their business idea and go do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Hey, go get that person for two years and help. Them. They will double your, but just make sure you account for and write down everything they do. Right. And that's what Chris has really done well. And all our staff has done well is documenting our core processes and procedures and putting videos together so that if there is a, someone elevating or leaving to go do something else, um, there'll always be a, someone that can come in and kind of, get a quick start or head start based on, um, on, on the uh, training that is already in place. But Chris said it best when he came on board, he said, Mark, I want to build a bench. Every NBA team, every you know, NFL team, any good team has a bench. 
that can come in at any good time. And it's our goal right now to not only have our core staff, but to build a bench of potential hires or just networking in the industry to know that you could potentially bring someone on board as you grow and scale like we are to mm -hmm. bring more people on into the fold. So that's something we're excited about. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's so, something that we all kind of forget because we want to hire and when we need to hire, you got to start anew. Having a bench helped that a lot. Um, Eric Salgado wants to know what is your favorite book or what are your favorite books? There's one, actually the book um, that I have given away the most to people is called The Legend of the Monk and the Merchant. Have you heard that one before? I have not heard that one. So Terry Farber wrote a book called The Legend of the Monk and the Merchant. Um, one of my favorite, I'm a fable guy, right? So that's why I love Patrick Lencioni's books because um, they're always told in a story and then they have kind of like two thirds story and then one third principles. Mm -hmm. I love the way he writes his books. Um, the Legend of the Monk and the Merchant kind of talks about faith-based living and Christianity and capitalism and how they don't have to be competing elements, that they work together. And that, would, that was something that at a time, it spoke to me at a time in my life when, you know, I was starting to make some money and not feeling guilty, but just like, oh, you know, like what, what does that look like? And, and, you know, when we tithe and, and give back and how, how much and, and, you know, what do we do with money that we're making? Um, it just freed me up to know that, you know, money is not bad. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But it really goes um, deeper in talking about how these two can actually help each other. And there's so much philanthropic efforts out there. I mean, gosh, Jason Medley is an amazing example of that, right? Yeah, With yes. collective genius and generous genius, that's mm -hmm. kind of the blending of the two. This book is a wonderful fable of capitalism and philanthropy coming together. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really good book. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I remember... When I was going through, I think it was a Total Money Makeover. But it was one of those Dave Ramsey books. And I was surprised at how many of his chapters would include a verse from the Bible mm. that was relevant. Like, wow. There was so much wisdom. Yeah. There is so much wisdom. The Bible talks about money quite a lot. <laughs> it does. It does not shy away from that. Um, okay, so uh, Gavin's follow-up question. Can you burn and keep everything as well? This way you have upfront cash for acquisition, and if you get a steady flow and schedule it going, it could be a machine. Let me just say, in this market, um, it's going to be challenging to, you know, do the, the, in the old ways where, you know, you'd have these appraisals that came in so high and you'd only be in for 70%, you can maybe pull some cash out. I'm not saying those deals don't exist. In fact, you know, your core group or I guess your audience maybe of um, you know, wholesalers and, and bird dogs and, and guys that are just hustling and grinding in the real estate game, um, if they come across a home run deal, hey, more power to you. Um, but it's not a consistent, scalable business of just always pulling out ten grand every time to put down on the next deal. Well, I mean, I've heard this over and over again: is that wholesaling is a young man's <laughs> right? Uh, no one starts in wholesales. We love wholesalers, Steve. We work with a lot of them. Well, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, like, no one starts there and stays there. Yeah, a lot of people start there. Yeah, for a reason. Put cash to buy real estate. Um, but hey, quick cash, don't go buy the, don't be that guy that goes buy the fancy cars. Yeah. Like just until you've got a million in the bank, don't drive that, that car. Right. Yeah. Uh, Michael Santiago wants to know, do you use social media in your business for selling and advertising? 
No, we don't. So we're blessed to have um, just literally a line. We're sold out of our inventory through Q3 already, um, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so every so we have 104 houses in the pipeline, and they're all accounted for. All accounted for, and we know when they're going to you know come out of rehab, so they're already pre-sold. Wow. Um, so we so we don't need to do that. However, um, it's a very valid question because as we're growing and scaling. The acquisition side really needs, now that we have the brand, the reason we'd kind of been pausing is that we had this brand of best offer KC, which is obviously Kansas City specific. And now we're going 1-800-SELL-NOW. Mm-hmm. Now we will be really able to kind of build and, and bang the drum. In fact, one of our hires that we have built out for, um, you know, in the next 12 months, one of those full-time staff will be someone just for social media because, you know, as as uh, my podcast grows, as our um, acquisition team gets more out there, I think... You've got to tell people what you're doing. You've mm-hmm. got to advertise what you're doing. Otherwise, you're never going to get any referrals. Well, that's why you were asking, like, was I bringing the whole media team down to uh, Tampa? <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, what, is your, what is the greatest lesson you have learned? Um, be kind. You know, I, I, I think I would just go back to uh, treat people with kindness because it comes around. It's a very small world. Very small world. I feel like there's a reason why that's a valuable lesson. Something that prompted that lesson? Um, Was it, it a mistake that you made or someone crossed you? Yeah, certainly my business partnership crossed me in a bad way, and that's, that's burned bridges. Um, mm-hmm. No, I don't think I've misstepped in that way myself. Um, yeah, I, all I know is... Um, that it is a small world and small communities that we live in. I recently just got back from a baseball trip and you know, my son had transitioned to a new baseball team and every single person, it was like a one degree of separation from someone we knew. Mm-hmm. It was like everyone knew somebody that, that I already knew. You mm-hmm. know? And so, you know, just be kind to people. I, you know, gosh, we live in, in one of the greatest countries in the world mm-hmm. and I'm blessed to live here. I love you know, America, love New Zealand, but also love America. And I think that, um, too many children are now growing up in this uh, in this sphere of political hypercharged conflict um, where there has to be a right or a wrong. There's so much gray area, Steve, in everything that you do. So just be kind to people. Yeah. I think if the world was a little kinder, it would be a better place to live. You know, it's interesting. You're, you're mentioning the burning the bridges. So there's a public relations person I was working with for, for a short period of time. And he promised some things and I paid for it and he didn't deliver it. I said, all right, well, I'm not paying for these other services. And he went not to like, hey, how can we solve this problem? Or let's have an adult conversation about it. He sent me straight to collection. Right? And here's the problem. I have literally referred him tens of thousands of dollars of business. Like, I don't know what was going through his mind, but that be kind was not, <laughs> was not going through his thought yeah. process. Um, let me also say this, um, because that was a question that caught me off guard. I'm trying to scramble, but I also know that I was on an island for a long time, and I truly believe that collaboration over isolation, which I've mentioned before, is a huge lesson that people should embrace working with other people mm-hmm. um, and embrace um, you know, specializing in an area and being okay with that and, and you know, paying someone a fair price to go, you know, buy your media for you or paying someone a fair price to do training for your staff. Mm-hmm. You don't need to train them all yourself. There's only right. a finite number of hours in the day. Pay the experts to do what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, they always said about an attorney and, a, and an accountant, right? You've got to pay to get the talent. 
it's the same in everything. Get the most talented people. You surround yourself with talent. I would love to wake up in our business, and I know we'll get there, where I walk into the room and I'll be the dumbest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. I'll be quite happy with that. Yeah. The, the more the business relies on you, the less valuable your business. Well, I mean, you're the bottleneck. Genius with a thousand helpers. And there's no, <laughs> I am no longer the bottleneck, Steve. So I'm That's excited awesome. for that. Well, I showed you that accountability chart. Yes, sir. <laughs> I was most certainly <laughs> the bottleneck. Um, and then along those same lines, is there a favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Most, uh, the best failure. Um, I've bought some bad houses uh, over the years that have turned out just fantastic on the back end. I once bought a house um, that was absolutely a teardown that probably shouldn't have, have bought. Um, probably one of those instances where I you know, wanted to outbid the guy on the courthouse steps. So overpaid for it, but then competitive um, spirit might have gotten away. <laughs> got away from it, yeah. <laughs> but then the government came in and, and just three months later, eminent domained the house and paid me like way more than what it was well, worth. Well, that's awesome. So that was an epic failure that was like super cool on the back end. Yeah. Um, I, I will also encourage people, you know, real estate is a vehicle where it lets you get away with really, really bad decisions through time. Mm -hmm. So you can just go buy and time will take care of all, it will heal all wounds. Mm -hmm. So I think there should be less consternation about what and where and exactly how we're holding onto these assets. Don't wait to buy real estate, go buy real estate, right? Don't, well, sorry, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait, oh. just, just wait it out. Um, real estate is an amazingly safe vehicle. Um, and Andrew has this question here is, are you hiring? Absolutely. Yeah, no, we are hiring in, uh, Actually, I think even if you, we have a corporate website, if you go to apply at sbd.com, mm -hmm. um, it goes through all of our open positions currently. And I think there's six or seven of them. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I want you to think about what you want to leave the listeners with while I make just a quick couple of announcements. Uh, guys, we got our sales training coming up next month. If you guys are interested, uh, send me a DM. And uh, if you guys are getting value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It really helps us, helps the algorithms. We can create more millionaires. Um, so what are your last thoughts? I think if I'm speaking to your audience, Steve, um, as I understand it, a lot of them, you know, could be kind of getting into real estate or, or you know, certainly been in just a few years. Um, you guys are blessed, right? I mean, I'm just real estate. I feel so passionately about that. It's such a great vehicle. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, the most heavily marketed investment strategy out there is the stock market. Just invest money. The accumulation, accumulate and then deplete and hope you don't run out. Real estate is that asset class where you buy assets, they spit off passive income, and you never need to sell them. And if you buy enough of it, you got enough to live on where you never need to sell the assets. Life-changing prosperity through real estate. Mm -hmm. So don't lose sight of the fact that... Um, you're just trading and transacting and making a lot of money now to, to make yourself look really good. Just put some away and not cash in the bank. Leave it in the house. Hold houses, hold real estate, and then send me a thank you card 20 years from now. <laughs> why do you think, this is just a follow-up question, don't normally do this, but why do you believe uh, the stock market is marketed so much more real estate? has to be. You know, you're gambling, right? I mean, you know, so... <laughs> No, uh, why do I think that? Um, you got to do something with your money. It's obviously there for a reason. I'm all mm -hmm. about diversification. I mean, when I sit down with a wealthy individual, I don't tell them pull all your money out of the market. Mm -hmm. I say, if you have uh, liquid assets that you're looking to diversify or get into something else, then we'd be happy to cater to that need. Um, but yeah, it's just a hyper competitive market. 
And um, it's something that needs to be done through someone else because it is extremely confusing. If you try and do that on your own, good luck, right? Mm -hmm. Day trading, I mean, good luck. So, yeah. you know, hyper competitive, very challenging. And so it has to be done through a professional. Um, but yeah, it's gambling, mate. What it feels like. It definitely feels like legal gambling. Um, so if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? So our website is uh, mistakefreerealestate.com. Um, my book is on there, the podcast. And then um, if we have any wholesalers out there that are in any of those markets that I mentioned, Steve, um, that we're growing into, obviously not in all of those just yet, um, but you know, would love to start working with more wholesalers. Like I say, I mean, we've paid out a million dollars last year in wholesale fees and we want to double that. Um, so we want to help your uh, millionaires that are going to become mm -hmm. millionaires. Um, so yeah, go to info at mistakefreerealestate.com and uh, we'll be ready to, to take some emails through there. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Absolute blast. Thank you guys for watching.